This podcast is a production of the Harry Ransom Center, a humanities research library and museum at the University of Texas at Austin. Visit our website at www.hrc.utexas.edu for a full list of multimedia offerings and to sign up for e-news. American religion, I, I find, uh, um, I can't pretend I don't find it odious, organized religion, mm-hmm. because um, it, it, it encourages the stultification of minds. Right. And, and it, it, it's in a set of absurdities. You know, even if the uh, even if the fundamentalist view should be basically correct, which I don't think at all, but all right, uh, it's just my opinion. But mm-hmm. if they're basically correct, I can't conceive that God, unless he has a diabolically low sense of humor, right. would present this notion that that text written by a committee mm-hmm. are his divine mm-hmm. words, and you've got to obey every one of those words, even when they lead you into total con- contradictions. Right. That, that, it, it's just so senseless in terms of logic that uh, I really, since I also believe there's a devil in human affairs as well as a god, uh-huh. uh, both of them quite creative in their own way, uh, I, I believe that organized religion is, is a, uh, a development and, and, and a mechanism developed by the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's a creator. You, as Norman Mailer, have various identities. You're Norman mm-hmm. Mailer, the writer. Then when you speak about yourself as Norman or Mailer in your writings, in sort of a third person, and then you're Norman Mailer, the reader, which one of those is stronger for you? What do you feel most, what is it, your... It really almost depends on my mood. Your mood. If yeah. I'm reading aloud, I'll be right. the person for I'm example. pretending to be at that point. I'll be Norman Mailer, the reader. Right. And. Uh, I do think we have a certain separation from ourselves. Uh-huh. In other words, if I'm talking about myself at the age of 28 or whatever. Right. I'm saying Norman. Right. He exists in my mind almost like a relative. Okay. You know, I don't. I don't feel the the umbilical, the, the, the individual <laughs> umbilical cord stretching right out to him. Right. Uh, so that I can yank on him and bring him in. He's there. He is what he was. Right. And so on. And I think that's true of all of us. Like that. That, that there we have we bear an odd relation to our own past that is beyond my powers to explore, but they may yet get into that sort of thing. Very often the child will show the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, just talk about it in a roundabout fashion. Right. Uh, at, at, at one point years ago, I uh, was going to direct a play. I was at Actors Studio. Mm-hmm. I was talking to uh, Elia Kazan, who was there right. at the time, and we were reasonably friendly, and I said to him, I, you know, I have a lot of trouble uh, moving actors around the stage. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, well, you don't have to do it. The actor usually has a better sense of where they want to move than you do. So I think the problem almost with, with children is, is to be on the key V for what their motive can be. Mm-hmm. Very often they want to do something that's terribly important to them. Right. And there's a tendency among parents, if they don't know what the child's up to, to stop the child because it makes them nervous. It um, very often can be something that can legitimately make you nervous like a child getting up on a chair when they can barely stand and then tottering on the chair a little. Mm-hmm. It, it's, uh, I think at a very early age they go through some of the um, physical dares that we present to ourselves uh, when, we're, when we're older. Right. So for the child, the thought of standing on that chair is terribly important. It, and it has a sense it can fall. Mm-hmm. It isn't innocent about that, but it feels it has to do it. And it's the, the burden of the parent, the reason you can get scared about it, 
is you do have to make some of these, you really have to make existential decisions on a child. Right. Like, do I step in here knowing that the child's going to burst into tears if you pull them off the chair? Right. On the other hand, um, if, if, if she falls and hurts herself, you've got your wife on your hands. When you have nine children, right. <laughs> it's very hard to it's get away. A small city. It's very hard to get away with a skin game. Right. You know, very hard to, it's very hard to fool all of them all of the time. Right. And so, <laughs> come on, Dad. <laughs> Three words I know very well. Uh -huh. You know, and oh, for God's sakes, Dad. Right. So the result is that um, you come to recognize that whenever you open your mouth, it's 50-50, whether you're <laughs> Im improving or downgrading right. um, the ears of the person who's listening to you. Right. And, and uh, I think that tends to make for a natural modesty. We grew up in a household, uh, uh, my mother particularly was a woman who um, had a, I wouldn't know how to, you may find better words for it. But she, she was a natural egalitarian. In, in other words, she, on the one hand, she felt she was as good as anyone. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, she was modest, oddly enough, mm -hmm. in that she knew, she knew that she was nothing tremendously important in the scheme of things. What was important to her were, were her children right. and, and her family life and her sisters. So um, growing up with the sense of family that she gave us, which was intense, you know, the, my mother, I've often made a joke about mom, which is that uh, she was like a mafia mother to which she had circles of loyalty. Oh, right. She was very easy to understand for that reason. Right. First came her children, mm -hmm. Barbara and myself. Okay. Then came her sisters. She adored her sisters and they adored her. Then came her husband. Interesting. Then came a few uh, cousins and relatives and so forth. And after that were a few people that you might be friends with, but uh -huh. you really couldn't trust the outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, I think there's a... Now, I, I've got the opposite of that, uh -huh. because my life was so complicated that I think, looking back on it, at a certain point I made a decision that um, I'll never be able to keep up with everyone, because my, my acquaintances, right. my acquaintance of people would be large, right. naturally through, through the success of The Naked of the Dead, and also because as a novelist, I really am interested in all sorts of people and want to know many people. So realizing that, I realized that I could not afford to develop a literary personality. Once he got over the shock of my being there, it was great. It's very hard to go from being the center of the universe, the sun of it all, to becoming a small moon right. that's traveling around the new sun. So as I said before, the first, until she was about two years old, I had one dream, and that was to hit my sister as hard as I could and get away with it. <laughs> oh, and of course, I never touched her, I didn't dare. Right, right. Uh, but then after, I, I say, about the time you were four, we, we started to become friends. You said somewhere around that. I was eight yeah. and you were four, yes. Yeah, you probably remember it better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that really... I think oh, actually, sorry. Norbert, it was because I so impressed you when I walked the pee across the oh, floor. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes I, was, I was timid as a boy, and... Um, not really very competitive. Uh -huh. Hated to lose and wasn't very good at winning, so I stayed out of many things. And um, there was a contest where a bunch of kids, it was, it was, I forget what it was, but there were about 20 kids there at least, and all ages from three to 10. There was a contest where you had to walk across a long room uh -huh. 
with a Dixie cup spoon, one of those flat spoons, right. one of those small spoons, with a P on it. And uh, Barbara won the contest. Uh, <laughs> so it all changed after <laughs> that. She walked across, she was so cool. Uh-huh. She was absolutely unflappable. She just walked to one end and then came back. And of course she had those peculiar curls. What were they called? Oh, um, uh, sausage curls. What? Sausage curls. Sausage the, the Shirley curls. Temple curls. Uh-huh. Shirley Temple used to have them. And of course, a great many mothers who had good-looking daughters were imitating Shirley Temple with right. their children. And so you used to have a Shirley Temple look. Well, something. Uh, oh. But anyway, no, I, I really didn't appreciate him until uh, I was much older. I mean, I didn't appreciate what a great brother he was because mm-hmm. I sort of took it for granted. But uh, I realized talking to women when I, you know, was an adult right. that not every brother was that good. Uh, he really, um, uh, he, I mean, not only included me when I was, you know, ten years old in games with his with his friends, mm-hmm. but. When I was an adolescent, he was just, to use that awful word, marvelously supportive. Oh, that's uh, But he really, you know, at a time when I was just feeling terribly awkward and mm-hmm. uh, unattractive, he kept telling me how pretty and smart I was. And oh, since I believed every word he said, right, I, right. I didn't <laughs> feel this way, he must be right. Well, there's definitely a, a responsibility you're born with, I think, when, when you're born a mailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... I think it's largely due to the fact that, that all eight of my brothers and sisters and myself were raised with a sense of social conscience mm-hmm. and a sense of the complexities and nuance of life. And the a large advantage to it is that, like it or not, you have a voice. And there are people out there that, that will be curious to hear what you have to say. Now, granted, they'll be coming at it with, with a, a certain bias, having nothing to do with you aside from your last name. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've, I, I've come to the conclusion that the advantages far outweigh the disadvantages, but one must what, do something with that. Or, or I, 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 per- I can't speak for, for my brothers and sisters. I personally feel the responsibility to do something with that, to, to, to do everything in my power to, to try to leave this, this world a slightly better place than when I entered it, uh, however minute right. <laughs> that may be. Um, no, oh, I've also... You know, the other advantage that, that I was given that is, is rarely mentioned is I grew up with both my parents who, mm-hmm. were, who were very attentive and, and, and there and, and that is an advantage I think unfortunately most people these days don't grow up with and there's a certain level of confidence that I have because of that uh, aside from, from who right. Norman Mailer is just as a father being there I was startled when everyone's going around saying, oh, he's such a hater of women, because mm-hmm. I happened to grow up in a family that was essentially uh, a family of females. Right. Uh, my father was a charming man, but he was ver- very much off in his own universe. So he was not a prominent figure in, in our upbringing. My mother was a huge figure, and um, our loyalty toward each other comes from her because it would have been impossible for her even to conceive for a moment that we should ever be at odds, the two of us. Mm-hmm. So, and we just picked that up comfortably and naturally because she wasn't fierce about it. She was loving about it and it right. was true for granted. But the fact is I had four aunts right. who were uh, my mother's sisters who were lovely women and I loved them. And then I had an aunt on my father's side who had no children and so she was like a surrogate mother and mm-hmm. very loving. So I grew up with so much love from women that I tended to uh, take it for granted 
And so I went around making ridiculous remarks for a few years. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, women, women should be kept in a cage, you know, right. which I said once on Orson Welles' show. <laughs> oh you never expected to be taken seriously. Well, I never, I never, assumed for, <laughs> I never assumed for one moment I'd be taken seriously. You, you know, and instead, mm -hmm. it became emblazoned. Right. The mailer wants us in cages. I think you really couldn't take the women's movement all that seriously because you never thought of women as being... I never thought of as inferior. As, as yeah, weak, right. As weak. Yeah. I mean, first of all, there was our mother, and our mother came from a tradition of the, you know, the uh, uh, Eastern European Jewish right. culture. From where, actually? Uh, uh, well, what's now Lithuania, which oh, is okay. Russia then, uh -huh. uh, where the women, I mean, the men were considered sort of delicate flowers who had to be nurtured, mm -hmm. particularly if they were, if, if they were scholars, and the women were the ones who ran the show, mm -hmm. and so. You know, she, had, I think, just assumed that right. role herself. So, and it, you know, by osmosis, we saw that in her.